Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Karen Mason makes music. The Broadway actress and concert artist is a 13-time MAC winner. And for those not in the know, MAC stands for Manhattan Association of Cabarets and Clubs. In 2019, she was awarded a MAC Lifetime Achievement Award. Karen has starred on Broadway, off-Broadway, been on television, and has performed in concert as well as in the recording studio. Some career highlights. Karen was cast as Madame Giry in the North American premiere of Love Never Dies, the sequel to The Fan of the Opera. She originated the role of Tanya in Abba's Mamma Mia on Broadway. Other leading roles include Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard, Velma Montussel in Hairspray, along with featured roles in Torch Song Trilogy and Play Me a Country Song. In addition to Broadway, Karen appeared opposite Ewan McGregor in the Netflix miniseries, Halston. She's headlined at Carnegie Hall, the Kennedy Center, Lincoln Center, Feinstein's at the Regency, the Algonquin, to name just a few. And then there are her recordings. The most recent Let the Music Play is a collection of theater music, pop classics, and new compositions. She has shared concert stages with Michael Feinstein, Liza Minnelli, Rosemary Clooney, Cheetah Rivera, Luciano Pavarotti, to name just a few. So enough of an intro. Let's yeah, really. get to know this talented musical powerhouse. Karen, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me remotely today. Thank you, Sandy. Wow, that was a mouthful. I don't think I could get through that. <laughs> so, <laughs> You know, I decided as I was writing this introduction, I mean, maybe that's why there's not a sisterhood all the time. Man, you've done all this shit. That's so incredible. <laughs> it's well, just, you know, this happens when you're old. <laughs> well, we're maybe they, contemporaries hopefully. here, but all notwithstanding, I mean, there's got to be something that lets you get to this point in spite of your age. How does this make you feel when I rattle all this stuff off? The very silly answer would be tired, but <laughs> <laughs> but I'm very proud. You know, it's it's funny. You do forget along the way because it's a business of the next job. It's a business of what are you doing now and what's coming up. Right. And so you do have a tendency to forget many of the exciting things that you've been able to be a part of. And it's 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 kind of nice to hear. I'm very proud of my career. I've I've worked hard and and I've had many lovely opportunities. And it's good to be reminded when I'm feeling like, oh Lord, what is going to be coming up next right. for me? That that yeah, things have happened in my career that you'll be okay. Just hang in there. So how did this career begin? Did you, I often ask singers and actors, were you putting on plays in the barn in the backyard? <laughs> well, actually down in our basement. Okay. My sister, uh, Kathy, or as I like to call her, my vastly older sister, she's only four <laughs> years. She uh, decided she wanted to put on things called Fourth of July specials. And yeah, I know. And they were. Sandy, they came with cake. So, you know, that's <laughs> that was really important to give our audiences cake. Mm-hmm. And Let them eat cake. <laughs> <laughs> it was the only way we could get anybody through the door. So we did it for my parents and for other relatives and other people, unwilling participants. And Kathy, just, she wrote it and directed it and produced it and starred in it. And my first taste of participating in shows was doing, I was the sailor who got to watch Francis Scott Keyes write the Star Spangled Banner. So it was a precipitous beginning Uh to performing. And I just 
We had music around the house all the time. My mom loved music. In fact, she was being trained as a concert pianist when she was younger. So she loved all kinds of music. We had Frank Sinatra and Beethoven and operettas. And uh, it was very eclectic and very mind-expanding. How wonderful to be exposed to all of that. Oh, it was. And they were so good about taking us to see shows. Did you grow up in the metropolitan area? Well, actually, I I was born in New Orleans. Ah. And then my dad kept getting transferred north. So we, I would say probably St. Louis and Chicago were from first grade till the end of high school. And my family, a lot of them still live in outside of Chicago. But during that time, we were living in St. Louis. So my parents would take us to the Muni Opera, the St. Louis Muni Opera, Mm -hmm. which is a, I think it's probably one of the largest outdoor theater. It seats 13,000 people. Oh, my God. And my parents were very, didn't have a lot of money, but they were insistent upon taking us to see shows. And so we sat in the very last couple of rows and the, the stage was minute. It was so tiny, but you could still feel the magic back there. Isn't that amazing? That's the power of a performance, right? Did you know that you wanted to do something with music as you got older, like when it was time to go to college, for example? I'm not exactly sure I was that clear about what I wanted to do. I knew I loved it. And I knew that it made me feel very at home is the phrase I use a lot. I I was an awkward kid. And uh, at that time during the 50s, being a fat kid was a tough place to be. And sure. so, you know, I, I, I wasn't, I knew I just for college wanted to get away from Arlington Heights. I just wanted to get away and try to start something new be someone new. Reinvent yourself? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just try to not be the Karen that everybody knew is, you know, I've always been somebody who's been curious about other people and other lives. And I think I just wanted to try to get out and and like you say, reinvent myself as as not the person they they knew as a fat kid who had Mm -hmm. all kinds of neuroses that come with it. And my my mom in particular was very guarded about letting us go away to school, my sister, my older sister and I. And that was hard. I, I So I was home for college and basically really screwed it up. I, I, I was not happy. I wanted to study theater, but I started out in math Because I thought, okay, I'll be a math major. Okay, I'll be a research biologist. Okay, I'll be a, you know, I was always, it was kind of a revolving door of everything except theater. And I was doing all these community theater projects. So I was always involved with theater, but thinking of it in terms of a career path, I don't think really struck me until... I was about halfway through college and I went, this is what I want. I need to push myself in this direction. But knowing what you needed versus having talent, somebody could say, I know that I really wanted to be a Broadway actress or a singer, but that doesn't mean shit if you can't carry (laughs) Part of that, knowing that that's what I wanted, 
was also the response that I would get when I would be in shows. I was getting positive reinforcement. I was, every time I would do a role, I would get a lot of attention from audiences. And yes, it was community theater and college theater, but I was getting attention. I always felt like, well, you know, maybe there's something there. Maybe there's something there. And when I I left school without graduating, I actually went back and graduated in 1999 so that my parents (laughs) could see me actually graduate. (laughs) (laughs) And frame that diploma, put it on the wall. (laughs) That's right. Their middle child finally made it. But uh, what really began the trajectory of of, uh, show business for me was um, I met this guy in Chicago at a restaurant called Lawrence of Oregano's. And (laughs) yeah, I know. Very funny. And I was living out in the suburbs of Chicago and knew I wanted to get close to people who were uh, getting paid for doing what I was doing for free out in the suburbs. And so I went and auditioned. They had singing waiters and waitresses. And my sister told me about it. And I went down and auditioned. And I I was told that, yes, I got the job, but that I would have to come back and sing for the guy who was the music director, whose name was Brian Lasser. And it was someone who believed in me, someone who was, when he played the piano for me, the song I did was, Don't Rain on My Parade, and uh, good for a belter. And Brian said he knew at that moment that he had, well, he, he always said he knew he had his Judy Garland. And for me, it was that I felt I knew I had, there was something very, very special about singing and sharing music with Brian. He was bigger than you. Bigger than me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Much. And so I just, I thought, I'm not letting this guy out of my sight. And we did all kinds of arrangements for the for the restaurant. And then we left and started doing private parties around town. And then finally started getting jobs. And, you know, it was, I worked with him for 16 years until he passed away in 1992. That to me is my formative years. I get that's, it. Mm-hmm. That's when I really learned about myself and who I was and who I am as, uh, you know, learning about myself and my, to not be so afraid of everything. And that, because I was always so afraid of pretty much everything. But here I had somebody who believed in me and we, we were powerful together. Well, fear notwithstanding, it's ironic because what, what you do, you're out there. You're out there naked. Yes. <laughs> Having the talent is one thing. Feeling confident about the talent is, is yeah. another. Yeah. You know, I uh, with, with Brian, I never questioned it. I never questioned it at all because I had somebody at the piano who... We, sh- we laughed, we sang, we cried. We did all of that together on stage. And I, I felt total, total confidence with him at the piano. And when he died in um, 92, I, yes, I had, you know, certainly gained a, a, an, an amount of, of personal confidence for myself that I knew I could carry on. But it took away a great deal of, now what do I do? Who do I work with? Who can I trust? How do I 
because, you know, like after working with somebody for 16 years, you have definite, definite jobs that you do within this relationship and how you fill it in for each other. And I, I was lost for a long time. And then I, I realized, you know, you, you have a lot more strength and courage than you give yourself credit for right. taking mm-hmm. care of somebody who's dying in the hospital and, and then at home, you know, you're, you're so busy taking care of it and getting through it that I think most people don't give themselves credit for the strength and that it takes to, to ap- actually get through all of that. Where does New York play in this? What was the catalyst for you to leave Chicago and come to the Big Apple? Yeah, well, Brian and I had done a couple of large concerts in Chicago. And, you know, you get to that point where you go, okay, we're not going any farther here. Now what? We were both Broadway theater kids. To move to Los Angeles just wouldn't have been, I think, right for us. It would have been a different path. You know, it would have been a different one. But Mm -hmm. we both felt this affinity for New York and and this pull to be here. So in 78, we had our first job at a place called The Ballroom, which was down in Soho. And yeah, do you remember it? Yeah. I know the name. Mm -hmm. You know, it was the kind of cabaret where the stage faced the kitchen. So you have to, you know, you work both sides of the room and then, you know, you get the advice from from the people who run it, you know, don't sing to the kitchen. <laughs> it's like, okay, I got it. I got uh-huh. it. I know I, I know where the paying customers are. And we got a great review in the New York Times. And then we went back to Chicago and decided that that was this was it. We needed to move. So we both moved together and we're very lucky in that we got right at that time, these two guys from Ohio bought the duplex down in the village when it was on the other side of 7th Avenue. And they were looking to get people in their room that would be consistent. And so they had seen the review. They asked us if we'd like to do every Saturday. And Yeah, sure. That sounds fabulous. We can build an audience that way. And what was really amazing about that time was that they didn't care. I mean, I'm sure they cared because if you have six people in the house, nobody makes a lot of money. Obviously, yeah. Yeah. But they cared, but they didn't shut us down. They let us continue and worked with us to build an audience. And that that is something that I don't know whether it's just, it's probably financially, it's impossible these days, but it's, it's, it's kind of unheard of for people to have that support, that consistent over months to years support of, uh, yeah, it's an open door. You can have every Saturday at blah, blah, blah. And, and then as they opened new clubs, don't tell mama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At don't tell mama. You know, Brian and I opened it with um, Nancy Lamott and Chris Marlowe were the other singers. So it was a it was a special time that we got a chance to even to grow and learn even more about who we were. And 
what a great gift that was. A great gift. But that's a very different dynamic than being cast in a Broadway show. Oh, yeah, totally. And very. And how and why were you, even though that may seem like a strange question? Well, we both had in our minds that it wasn't going to be this locked in with each other and you can't work with anybody else. Right. That we both felt that artistically, that what we learned from other situations and other people can only enhance what we bring back to each other. And so he was writing a few shows. He had a few produced off Broadway. And I did those, got an agent, and then auditioned for a show called Play Me a Country Song, which nobody actually has heard of. (laughs) (laughs) It closed on opening night, which was, you know, I know. My first Broadway show and it closes on opening night. I mean, it deserved to. It was kind of a mess. But but it was my first. I hear you. I didn't want it to close. So I did that show and I auditioned for Barry Moss, who cast me in it. And Barry also cast me in a Torch Song trilogy at the same time that I got Play Me a Country Song. It was like right after Play Me a Country Song opened, I got cast in Torch Song. And Play Me a Country Song, even though they knew they had one big old mess of a show, would not let me out of my contract. So I couldn't move to Torch Song Trilogy. And that was was hard. But listen, it's like every other actor. You know, I go and audition and hope they like me. And if they like what they do and think I can fit in with the rest of the, the cast, then you get cast. And... I don't like auditioning. I've always been that kind of person who would really like someone to just call me on the phone all the time (laughs) and tell me I have a job. But it's the reality of the situation. You go and audition. You put on your pantyhose and makeup and you go and audition. Compare the two professional lifestyles of being in a show, for example, and having a role and playing a character as opposed to headlining at Carnegie Hall or at the (laughs) Kennedy Center or being at Feinstein's. They're similar, but they're so not the same. Oh, no. The similarity is probably just the instrument that you use to communicate. right? Mm -hmm. But with Cabaret, I get to make the choices. And I choose who I work with. And I'm lucky that I work with really brilliant people and have chosen to over the years. There's that control issue. There's the... When I'm doing a cabaret or a concert, it's all me. And it has to be more me than a character, as far as I'm concerned. I think that's what's so scary about cabaret to a lot of Broadway, a lot of theatrical people, is that you really have to be yourself. You're kind of up there naked in a very different way. Yeah, it's so true. Sometimes I think naked would be easier, (laughs) (laughs) but you get to be yourself. And I was very lucky that I met somebody who we worked through all of that in Chicago when we were just doing private parties and doing concerts. And and I wasn't doing any theater at the time. When we moved to New York was when I really started to get back to that. And it is different. What's different too for me is that I'm hmm, I'm used to control of how I 
style is not the right word, but how I connect with a song. Okay. How I, how I act a song, how I communicate a song. And in theater, you are a vessel, you know, you're a hired gun for somebody. You, um, I probably shouldn't use that phrase anymore because it's <laughs> things getting too violent for me out there, but <laughs> you know, you're, you're somebody's, somebody else has the overview. Somebody else has the idea of what you're going to do as that character, what they need from you to do as that character. And that is always a little bit of a tug of war for me emotionally, because I sometimes with cabaret, you have to make relatively fast decisions because you don't have the luxury of six weeks of rehearsal and four weeks of previews. You get together in like two or three weeks, you put together a show, and then you might have more than one performance, but you might not. So there's a lot riding on that one yeah, performance. Sure. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a different it's a different way of approaching. And so when I make those faster decisions about how to communicate the song, how would this character communicate it? Sometimes it's it's in conflict with the director, but you work it out. You know, that's what you do. Do you write your own songs? I don't. I I actually wish I could, but I, I'm an expresser as opposed mm-hmm. to a writer. And I, you know, my husband's a writer. Well, and it's, and it's your take on the music. You bring right. what's special to Karen Mason. Absolutely. Right. I approach it the way, you know, from, me, like you say, mm-hmm. like Karen Mason would approach it. And um, that to me is is satisfying. I Other people write way better than I ever could. So I'm happy to let them do it and, and just be the vessel. Is there some particular lyricist that speaks to you more than others? And I have to just tell you parenthetically, I took the death of Stephen Sondheim so hard that you look back at his oeuvre and it's just mind-boggling but the songs and the and the communication and and what these men and women do how they share that and then how you come on and give it your take as well yeah I listen it was a that was a a huge transition for all of us who have grown up Stephen Sondheim was how basically we kind of got interested in a lot of that, you know, he changed musical theater. He changed it. And it's a weird thing to think of a world without his gifts, mm-hmm. his direction, his, he could put into words and music what we were all feeling. Absolutely. And, and the, the, you know, the dichotomies of all of our thoughts, the, it was somebody quoted the other day, I'm uh, sorry, grateful. And I thought, yeah, that's exactly how you feel when you're in a, a marriage or a relationship. You know, it's on a daily basis. He verbalized for us the complexities of our thoughts. And that's hard to let go of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really hard to, to fathom that that's not going to be around for us um, now selfishly speaking. Did you sing a lot of his music? 
I've not sung a lot of his music. Mm -hmm. Some, but not a great deal. There were so many other people doing Sondheim shows that I do some of it, but not, you know, I, I pick and choose what appeals to me. And so much of his songs are so character driven. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. That it it's, it's harder sometimes to just lift out a song. I mean, certainly there are fabulous ones, but to also put it into a cabaret act where, oh, I need this emotion right now or this thought right now. Right. Makes it just a little bit more complicated. Actually, Chris Denny and Barry Kleinbort, the two guys I work with, just did an incredible arrangement of the song On Broadway with Broadway Baby. And it never lets Broadway Baby get to the big, huge, loud song that it, that it normally is. And it's, it's really, it was such a beautiful take on, on that song. More intimate in a way. Much and not, more. And not that buffo kind of. Right, right, right. Yeah, I'm a Broadway baby. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. It was more about, wow, that's what I want. I want to be a Broadway baby. And gee, I'd like to see on some marquee, all twinkling lights. The lyricists and the composers who speak to me, I, I have to say, I usually, I love Harold Arlen. I love Candor and Ebb for mm. the, the bigness, mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the big baffo ones. Right, right. And, and also some of their ballads are, are really great too. But again, they're very character driven, but easy, a little easier to lift out. Unless you're doing a Sondheim show, it's it's a little more challenging with Stephen Sondheim. But, you know, certainly stuff from Gypsy and West Side Story. And West Side Story, I was just going to add. Right. So I think it's fair for me to use the word eclecticism when it comes to you. As yeah, well as versatility. I like to be all over the place. You know, mm -hmm. it's I don't know whether it's just how, as I was coming up through the ranks, this is how I I learned was to learn more about yourself and who you are, present yourself as the, the performer, as opposed to I'm the performer singing, this is my Stephen Sondheim show, or this is my Candor and Ebb show. Mm -hmm. I like singing all over the place. I like singing all kinds of songs and seeing how we can make them all, all 15 of them in a cabaret act, form together a statement about our times, who we are, who I am, maybe just to be in, you know, to enjoy it. But to me, it's, it's more important that I utilize all the different colors as opposed to just one voice. So despite age, you're constantly not reinventing yourself. I don't want to use that word, but there's, there's this real ebb and flow of what you're doing that you're open to doing something that you've not done before. Oh yeah. Always. Always. Well, that's huge, don't you think? I guess. You know, I, I don't, I don't, you don't think that that's pretty typical of people in show business? I don't know. Well, I certainly think there is the versatility, but maybe there's the comfort of, oh. you know, of knowing what you know and how you've done it and what it means to you also, how you relate to it as opposed to how I'm going to relate to it. In yeah, sense. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I've always, loved the learning aspect of things. I love, I just love learning new things. And so I, 
yeah, I feel like I, I'm not over. I'm not through with learning things. I haven't said, oh, this is the way I'm going to do it. And it's all over. I want to be challenged constantly. Oh, that's terrific. That's what keeps us alive. Oh, absolutely. And keeps you interesting. You know, I don't want to be a museum piece. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm, I would like to be, to think that maybe I can teach in some ways by songs that I sing, you know, we're all in this together. We're all, we're going to be okay. We might not be okay at some moments, but you know, there, there are ways to get through it. To me, that's, I I love the sharing aspect of it. And, and I, I, you know, you can only, you don't want to become so set in who you are and what you have to say that you lose relatability. Well, sharing, notwithstanding, that obviously had to have a big impact on you, as it did all of us, with the pandemic. Oh, good God, yes. Yeah, sharing takes on an entirely new meaning. What a time we have all been through. It impacted everything. And I, you know, lost a lot of business, as did a lot of people. But just thought, I'm not going to just sit around and be... Although I did watch a lot of Netflix. Yeah, Yeah, feel sorry for myself. Yeah. yeah. So I learned, I started to do these little shows on Zoom. And Uh I did every Thursday for about a year, like half hour. And I was learning my way through how to do it, how to sing to a little hole in my computer, (laughs) how (laughs) how to set up the tracks, how to have a backdrop how to fold the collapsible backdrop, which is a feat unto itself. But I really thought the business is not going to be the same Mm. at all when this is over. And I better learn how to do self-tapes really quickly. Yeah. So I thought, you know, just jump in, Karen. How bad can you be at it? And I was, you know, fairly bad cutting myself <laughs> off many times. <laughs> so, but the proactivity is what is what stands out, that you're not going to just sit in the corner and bemoan your fate or feel sorry for yourself. You know, maybe that is there is some of that. Yeah. But wait, I think it's now I can take the bull by the horns and I can do what I'm going to do. Yeah. My sisters get on me because I not somebody who it's harder for me to listen to somebody than it is for me to go, and here's how we're going to solve the problem. You know, I'm, I, I'm, try, I'm working very hard on being a good listener because I don't want to be that person who you can't come to, people who love me, who want to come to me and say, I want to share this about what's going on in my life. Mm-hmm. My reaction is always, and here's how we're going to solve the problem. Yeah, I get you. I get <laughs> Which is that. really annoying, by the mm-hmm. way. I would be remiss if I didn't bring this up before we get to your most recent recording, Let the Music Play. But what was that like being in Halston on Netflix? That doesn't sound very typical in terms of your career. No. And I'm trying to branch out into television and, and film, you know. I've and just always, act. Yeah. And just act. Listen, it all, like I said, it all feeds back. People saw me on that. will you know, now come to see me at Feinstein's. Yeah. You know, it'll all feedback. Maybe they'll buy a CD, although we're finding that very few people have CD players anymore, but Hey, they're streaming it and stuff. But yeah, I, I have to say, I 
loved every second of it. It was scary as can be. Was that shot here in New York? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Actually, in Brooklyn was where I was. And uh-huh. it was scary. It was very scary because I. it's not my playground. Yeah. I not wanted a safe to be space necessarily. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But everybody was so kind. I kept my eyes open. And Ewan McGregor is, I I became like a 16-year-old with, you know, giggling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's so cute (laughs) and was so generous and sweet with me. And the director, everybody was just, obviously I was doing my job too. It wasn't like, oh my God, this poor woman, you know, is not, she's so bad, but we're going to be kind to her. (laughs) So I, I did my job and I came through. Would you like to do more of that? I would. Straight straight acting? Yes, I would Mm -hmm. love it, especially film and television. It's it's a good paycheck. Concerts and cabarets are good, but film and television are better. Well, yeah, it's it's, it's such a different dynamic. Yeah. So, Karen, let's talk about Let the Music Play. What was the catalyst for that? And are there original songs in this collection as well? There are original songs. And in fact, the title track is an original song written by David Friedman and my husband, Paul Rolnick, who also produced the CD. Oh, so there's a little incestuousness going on. Oh, totally. Yeah. We're a a very well, this is Ma and Pa record producers here. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Paul and I were just talking. We were just looking through. I said, we should try to do a new CD. Haven't done one in a long time. And Paul had these tracks from times when we would be recording other albums and we would just keep adding, hey, let's do this song while we have the studio. Hey, let's do this song. So we had a lot of tracks and I went through and said the ones I liked. Then it seemed like just kind of a mishmash of, of, of styles and songs. And then David and his partner, Sean, and Paul and I, started doing these Zoom Tuesdays. We've been friends for a long time. And then all of a sudden, you know, somebody, I think it was Sean said, do you want to Zoom on Tuesday? It was like, yeah, that sounds like fun. We're in lockdown. Where are we going to go? Right. And so we started doing that and we have become very good friends. In fact, we're going to London and Positano next year together. Wow. And we were just becoming very close friends. And Paul said, hey, you know, David, maybe we should write something together. Paul had this idea about let the music play. He wrote part of the song. He sent it to David. David sent back a completed song in a couple of days. And when I heard it, Sandy, I knew it was the title track. It was somehow it brought it all together for me, all these separate tracks that I thought don't really have anything to do with each other. And it's about from this moment forward, we have to be proactive about getting the music out there. We've been through a lot. The first part of the lyric is we've been living life apart. We've been hopeless and depressed with a song deep in our heart that had no place to be expressed. But a brand new day is dawning as at last we find our way. On this bright and glorious morning, it is finally time to say, let the music play. So when I heard that, I thought, okay, that's 
that needs to be the title track. And it's a great song. Isn't that fabulous? Oh, man. It speaks to a, a time, a very important time for all of us to not forget what it was like, but to make us maybe enjoy from now, from this moment forward, try to let it play. I think that's the perfect way to end with a sample of Let the Music Play with Karen Mason. And before we do go to that, I just want to thank you for sharing your life and your passion with us. It was really fascinating. You're just so easy to talk to and you've got a lot to share. Oh, well, thank you very much. This was a lot of fun. I really learned a lot and you've got so much to offer, not the least of which is let's go to Let the Music Play, sung by the very talented Karen Mason. Thank you so much, Sandy. Yes. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. We've been living life apart. We felt hopeless and oppressed with a song deep in our heart that had no place to be expressed. But a brand new day is dawning as at last we find our way on this bright and glorious morning. It is finally time to say, let the music play, let our voices soar, starting now today and forevermore. We've come through the night, we have found our way, now the time is right, let the music The voices we've been hearing Saying help is on the way And so many of us fearing We would never see that day We're beginning to break through now No more need to stay inside As these promises come true 